0: Hello and welcome to another edition of The More The Merrier with Donna G. This show, the featured guest is Alfonso King Jr., also known as Jade Electra, the drag queen. Now, today's show does deal with some mature themes, so I just want to give you a heads up. I don't want anyone to be triggered by anything that is mentioned during the show. It is a wonderful show. Alfonso Jade Electra is an amazing person who is living an amazing life and her past is definitely something that people can and will relate to and where she is now is just sensational. She is a wonderful community activist. And uh, Jade and Alfonso, the whole person, is just someone who's wonderful to listen to. Uh, She's been part of... House of La Beige, for those of you who know the, the documentary Paris is Burning, and she has done and is doing so much more. So keep it locked to 89.5 FM if you want to get in touch with me for any reason, at TMTM with Donna G on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And tell your friends if you if they miss the show, go to www.ciut.fm, click on Sundays 1 to 2 p.m., The More, The Merrier, and click on my podcast link. And of course, we're going to get started with a track from Jade herself, and this is Basic Bitch. Basic
1: bitches want to keep me from getting married, and you don't have to be a gay man or a drag queen to be a basic bitch. This is for everyone, darling. Basic bitches don't discriminate. Basic bitches come in all shapes, sizes, and gender. And those in between. Basic bitches just can't take me. They've never been able to take me. You won't make it like that. You won't make it like that.
0: You won't make it.
1: You won't make it like
0: that. You won't make it like that.
1: You won't make it like that. So while I'm featured in magazines and talk shows, you're featured in Boy and Dress Weekly. Basic bitch. Basic bitch. Basic bitch. They just are. Basic like a bitch who travels to the big city, only to get chopped before she even walks the category. Oh, and honey, it's not a ball if your house wins all the trophies when you threw the ball in the first place. Basic bitch. Basic bitch. Basic bitch. That's just basic shade.
0: You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. Donna G., The More The Merrier. And you just heard a track, uh, an excerpt rather, from Basic Bitch by Jade Electra. Her legal name is Alfonso King Jr. But we're starting with her entity as Jade Electra. Jade Electra, welcome back to
2: The More The Merrier. Yeah, uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, this is exciting.
0: So the last time you were here, we talked about Pause magazine, which is now called, um, your event is called Mingles. But I, I wanted to start with Basic Bitch. Um, because last time I didn't play any of uh your music and okay. also I wanted people to know about you being part of my favorite house from Paris is burning house of la beja
2: and you were part of the house of LaBeija. How did that happen? We have to rewind to 92. And uh, I was doing a a benefit for uh, the queen that took me in, Grace, uh, the electrifying Grace. Uh, So I was doing a benefit. I was performing for it. I had been the DJ at Sally's. Uh, No one actually knew that I did drag uh, before I came to New York. So uh, uh, this was a big surprise for everyone. And Peppa LaBeija was in the audience. And uh, um, after my performance, she came up to me and said, you know, you remind me of a lot of myself when I was younger. And I was like, oh, OK. And she goes, would you like to be in the house of Labeja?" And I was like, sure. I mean, I, I had seen the movie when I was back in Florida. So this was like unbelievable. As far as I knew, you had to walk a ball. Yes. And get, yeah. And get noticed by uh, the house in order to be considered. But she immediately wanted me in. I guess just because I reminded her of herself. I became a member of the house um, and started going to the house meetings and meeting with her and uh, different members. And uh, I walked four different balls, and uh, and I actually won like three of those. Butch Queen, first time in drags at a ball now, which.
0: I remember Uh, that category.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so because they had never seen me and also the hype of I was the DJ from Sally's, everyone was like, oh, my God. You know, so that was the big sell. But they didn't know that I had already done Dragon Florida uh, before I arrived. Um, now
0: um jumping in, tell people what Sally's is.
2: Sally's um <laughs> I get in trouble for saying this, but Sally's was a hooker tranny bar in Times Square on 43rd Street. Um it it was right across the street, diagonally across the street from the old New York Times building. It was part of the Carter Hotel. It was actually their ballroom, but like because of the Carter Hotel it had turned into like a sleazy like rent by the hour hotel. They mm. didn't use their ballroom anymore. So the ballroom and the bar that was connected to it uh, became Sally's. Okay. And, uh, uh, th- and- that
0: was the term that we used back then.
2: Yeah. Um, that was
0: the term. <laughs> yeah. That was a term that we used back then in case people, yeah. you know, come after you or come after me. That's what uh, the term was back then.
2: Yeah. Well, I tell people all the time. I'm like, look, I, you know, you can come after me if you want to. What you going to get? i'm still here i'm still breathing nothing's happened uh you know it's just a term that makes you uncomfortable it wasn't uncomfortable at the time and you know that was the distinction between drag queens and transsexuals whereas you use the word tranny
0: so you were the dj at sally's were you dj relentless back then
2: Uh, that name didn't come along until I started working at, uh, I actually got it when I started working at a place called The Works, which was uptown on 81st in Columbus. One of the customers used to say that I was relentless on the decks. And so I, I, that's where I took it from.
0: Back to the house of LaVasia. I have to ask, was Pepper as nice as she seemed as a house mother?
2: Oh, she was amazing. And she was very, very like, like she was a mother to the kids in the house. Like she really did care about... About everything and you could go talk to her about whatever technically she was my house mother but like i had several because of dorian Corey worked at sally's and she was another one who was guiding me along the way she was the person who made all of my early drag uh costumes and dresses when i first started doing drag in new york because i didn't have any uh, what, a, what an honor yeah 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 so you know it's it, it's it was wild to find out that the room that i used to go and get fitted in is the same room where they found the body. Yes, so,
0: people. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> why don't you go okay. ahead and tell that little
2: story? After Dorian passed, uh, they started going through her her stuff and in her apartment. Her apartment was like kind of cluttered. Like her sw- her sewing room was just boxes and trunks and things of of materials. I never thought anything about. it. it was just like, oh, you know, it's an old house. She had a really big apartment uh on like gosh it's been forever since i've been there. i think it was 145th gosh i can't remember what the cross street is now when she died they started going through her stuff and they found a mummified body uh, mm-hmm. in one of the in one of the trunks in in her uh place and uh the legend is that it was of a lover kind of a dl lover who wasn't out who was very abusive to her. And I guess they got into a big fight and it, she ended up killing him. And so the smartest thing for her to do was to dismember the body and mummify it. Because if they can't find the body, then they can't charge you with anything. So she kept it.
0: Yeah. So that's yeah. Dorian Corey, who made <laughs> costumes for you. Some of yeah. which you wear to this day looking fabulous. I,
2: yeah, 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 I still have, uh, I still have like Four of the pieces, yeah.
0: became friends with Hector Extravaganza as well.
2: Yeah, Hector and I actually dated for a short time. You know, the interesting thing was uh, when I moved up here, I uh, we were still in contact and I actually brought him up here to be a part of World Pride. And uh, But unfortunately, Hector, uh, part of the reason that we didn't last is his ego was huge. Mm. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I told him like, you know, look, I introduced him to, uh, the person that was running, uh, uh, that was, I think that was TJ. Gosh, I, it's been forever since I've seen the person. It's a, a, a trans person who used to be in charge of, uh, of doing the bookings. And, uh, we came up, had a meeting, everything was great. Uh, and I told him, I was like, let me handle anything that you need from this end. He didn't do that. He kept calling and uh, changing things like, uh, you know, they were going to bring the house. uh, They were going to bring some house members up. They were going to do a workshop. They were going to perform during pride, all of this stuff. And he kept calling. And uh, finally they were just like, look, uh, we can't keep changing and buying new tickets and all this stuff for people. Uh, You know, and he was going on about, but we're the house of uh, extravaganza. And, and we're worldwide known, and and so the last, <laughs> the, the, the last straw was like I, I think that uh, he wanted more money, and he wanted uh, like three more tickets added on, and they were like, you know what, you're done. We're not we're not bringing you. So he got mad at me, and he's like, why did you know? Why didn't you uh, talk to them? Or I was like, you screwed this up, and I said, and also on top of it, um, you know, outside of New York's ballroom it really doesn't mean anything that you're the, you know, the top house or whatever that that's in New York city. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean anything. in Toronto. It doesn't mean, you know, yeah, uh, exactly. So, but I mean, he sort of kind of got the last laugh on me. Like we, we, we didn't speak for a little while after that. Uh, but then, you know, we finally mended uh, things or whatever. Uh, but he kept telling me about, he was working on um, uh, something big, but he wouldn't say what it was. Well, what that something big was, was Pose. He was one of the executive, um, uh, like the people who consultants for the Ah. show. And he's actually in the first season. He died um, right before they started filming the second season. Uh, So he he sort of did get the last laugh as far as, you know, being worldwide because of that. That show went everywhere.
0: He got his uh, five minutes of fame that he he wanted. So, Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Tell me how you got to open for Cindy
2: Lauper. Ah, <laughs> um, let's see. It was uh, the year was 2000. And um, uh, I had uh, uh, I had auditioned to be in her video for um, the the 90s version of Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And uh, New York City, there, this was just taxis and there weren't Ubers back then. Uh, I missed getting there for the shoot. Because we were being uh taken out to Long Island on a bus, I missed by like five minutes. Uh, I got the cab got there late so I'm I, I was furious and uh, and I wrote an apology letter uh, and so she remembered that and invited me to open for her. Uh, she was doing a Grammy's party down in Soho and uh, invited me to come and uh, uh, perform uh, be like a uh, an opening act for her. So that's how that happened. And uh it was a really fun night. Uh Leave what Leave um, Shriver. Leave Shriver, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh was in the audience with his wife. But uh I was doing an Earth a Kit number and I went and sat on his lap during the number. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was a really good sport about it or whatever, but I was just like, oh, I'm not missing this opportunity. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, how did uh little skinny kid from florida make his way to new york let's set the stage because you did not have an easy upbringing tell us about those florida days and your mom rose and your grandma is it carrie may
2: yeah carrie carrie may yeah Um, Well, my mom and my dad, uh, literally, my mom got pregnant because she thought that that would get her uh, free from my grandmother. And it did, uh, because my grandmother made them get married. They were 17. Uh, And uh, once she had me, she took off with a boyfriend and left me with my dad. And my dad, who knew nothing about raising a child, took me to my grandmother, uh, to my mother's mother. And uh, sort of left me. Uh, So I was raised by my grandmother. And, um, you know, looking back on it, I think, oh, man, you know, when I was young, I was like, oh, this is terrible. She's old. She doesn't understand today's, you know, things or whatever she, you know, because I would ask her about stuff. And she's like, oh, child, I ain't spending no money on that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I had to go to school and like, whatever we got at Kmart or Zares, uh, which I don't even think they have those up here. Uh, but like, that was the cheapest place to buy uh, school clothes. So, you know, I, I I always felt like, man, this this is terrible. I'm, all the kids are making fun of me. Well, I had the cheapest shoes that I remember the shoes. They cost, I'm not kidding you, $1.99. Uh, these sneakers, these really cheap sneakers, and they used to call them hot boxers. Hot boxers, <laughs> okay. Hot boxers. And uh, um, yeah. And so the kids, you know, hot boxes make your feet feel fine. Hot boxes only a dollar (laughs) ninety (laughs) nine. They
0: even had a rhyme. Oh, no.
2: Oh, yeah. It was bad. It was bad. So, you know, um, I was raised by my grandmother. My two uncles, uh, my mother's brothers, lived in the house at that time as well. And there was my uncle Marvin and there was my uncle Larry. And uh, they used to, like, tease me relentlessly because I was I was an effeminate kid Uh, and uh, they would do all kinds of really messed up jokes. Uh, One of their favorites was dipping a a butter knife in ketchup and then they would run it past my ear and say, oh, I cut you. So I would run my, you know, touch my ear and see something red and start screaming. And they thought that that was hysterical. Oh, Oh yeah, 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 and I I would fall for it all the time when you're like six and seven. Of course,
0: you know. of course. Yeah, you know.
2: And my grandma would be like,
1: "Y'all leave that child alone." <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, so um, yeah, so I mean, that was my early years. But then, unfortunately, about the time when I turned seven, um, my uncle Larry started molesting me, and that went on. Oh, until- I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, I, I talk very openly about it because of I think that puts in perspective of where my sexuality like it didn't come from that. I think I was always gay, but like I think those years sort of changed how I was going to grow. Uh, and um, I uh, um, and as
0: it does with as it does with most
2: children who are. molested. Yeah. 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 And and so um but the thing is is and and I, I think this is the thing that makes a lot of people uncomfortable when I say it. there were aspects of it that I liked, and it was probably because of the fact that I was getting attention. And so a lot of what Jade Electra is based on is the feminine part of me that I learned about myself during that time. Mm-hmm.
1: So I don't I think
0: that's up. yeah, I don't think that's an uncommon feeling um, to have because it's sexual it's supposed to be pleasurable and yeah. i and i know some um rape victims one of the shames that they have is is orgasm you know during that horrible incident so right. i think that is wrapped up in what you you were experiencing but at the same time this was somebody older than you taking advantage of you
2: yeah yeah. And, and the way that it was done, the grooming and everything that went exactly. on was that he's what he would tell me was that um, I shouldn't tell anyone because my mom wasn't around. Uh, my mom uh, ended up going to prison for trafficking drugs. So my mom was in and out of prison most of my childhood. Uh, and um, uh, he was like, you know, your mom's not here. If you tell anybody, you're just going to be put out on the street, uh, you know. Uh, the so, power
0: the power tactic.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, when you're a kid, a little kid, you believe that stuff. And so I was afraid to say anything. I couldn't say anything. And I didn't want to leave my grandmother. And it, it was a lot going on. Um, of course. Of course. So, yeah. So it wasn't until, like, much later that I actually, like, when I was in my teen years, that I actually um, saw a therapist and, like, talked about any of it. Uh, And and learn to forgive myself because I blamed myself a lot for a a lot of it Mm -hmm. Uh, and also uh, forgave myself for being gay. Like I thought that that was, you know, it was the worst crime for a black boy to be in the South. You know, Uh, everyone would talk about you and everyone. And they did anyway. Like it was uh, it was just like, you know, everyone made fun of me or called me sissy or whatever so the to take back that I embraced my drag I embraced um you know being the person that I am I'm I'm not I'm not some uh you know big butch burly man uh but I'm not by far uh, a, a, a Nelly queen either I you know I can be Mm-hmm. Uh, when I need to be, or for a stage or whatever, and I like it that way. Um, but, like in my everyday life, I'm just normal. I'm like a nerd, actually. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, but yeah, the, the the early years that that sort of shaped what was going on. And um, can I unfortunately-
0: ask you, um, was there pressure in having your name, Alfonso King Jr., being a black gay kid, you know, who you said was clearly effeminate.
2: What was it like having your
0: father's
2: name? Well, I mean, <laughs> I guess it would have been problematic at first if he was around. So okay, he didn't spend any time like he would I, like my memories of him when I was small was him lying on the phone saying he was coming to see me and he would never show up uh the worst was I think my, well, I think it was my eighth birthday, sitting on the porch all day waiting for my father to show up and him not coming mm-hmm. at all. And the sun going down and my grandmother going like, "Okay, baby, come on in. It's time to eat dinner." So my memories of him when I was a kid were just disappointments, and he really doesn't come into my life or make any plays in my life until. Uh, My mom gets out of prison around 78 uh, and uh, she, you know, takes me and uh, she has a boyfriend. She gets pregnant. She has uh, another child uh, and we're fine for a while or whatever. But she starts going back out and starts doing drugs again and eventually gets locked up again. Uh, And that's in 1980. So I ended up having to go stay with him and his new wife. And, uh, and that's where like it really became a problem. His new wife, Teresa, she recognized that I was gay and she would try and talk to him about it. And I didn't learn any of this until much later also, but she would try and talk to him about it. And he was not having it. Uh, and the reason that he wasn't having it is which I found out, um, uh, what about 13 years ago now? Um, uh, he was living on the DL.
0: And you only found this out 13 years ago?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, My father died in 2005. Uh, The last time I spoke to my father was an argument at his mother's house, uh, Thanksgiving 1991. And he was yelling at me, telling me that I was ruining his name and that I was going to catch AIDS. And um, uh, if I kept running around with those faggots and uh, it, it was, you know, it was a really ugly fight. And uh, and I finally got to say some things that I always wanted to say to him because if he was like he had kids all over town. Uh, but when you're half Puerto Rican and black and fair skin, uh, you know, you're very popular. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so he used that to his advantage. And and I think he slept with as many women as possible to um, to cover up the fact that he was also bisexual. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, but my father died of AIDS in 2005.
0: He's covering that up and taking it out on you, you know, the self-hating. Right.
2: Right. Um, right. And, and when we had that, when we had that argument, I had already be- uh, become HIV positive. It was, uh, it, it happened in 89. I got diagnosed in 90. So, uh, so I, uh, you know, my, the, to answer your question of how I got to New York is that I decided that I did not want, them to know. I didn't want my family to know that I was HIV positive. So I just packed up and left and went to New York on a whim.
0: Now, yeah. I understand that um, you ended up in House of Laveja but I understand that your first time in drag wasn't all that.
2: Did oh. you run off the stage? <laughs> uh, no, I did not. I I, stood, I sat there and took my lumps. Uh, in Tampa, Florida, there used to be a black bar, a black gay bar called Renee's. And on Monday nights was the talent show. And, uh, uh, I, uh, the hostess was Tony Rose, uh, this Italian queen. Uh, and, um, uh, I had been entering the contest and I was doing Prince and Michael Jackson, which I might as well have been doing drag. Uh, and, um, I would never win. Only drag queens would win. And uh, this one queen named Donna White came in and she literally made a, a makeshift dress on the dressing room floor. Like she stitched it together and threw some glitter on it. Um, she was built like a linebacker. She had uh, the only thing really going, she was missing teeth. She, the only thing that was going, she had going for her was it was her own hair. And she did Patti LaBelle and went out and rolled around on the floor and kicked her feet and kicked her heels off and all that stuff. And I was just like I can't look any worse than that. So <laughs> that, was the, <laughs> that was the reason that I was like, okay, I, I, I'm doing drag, and I'm gonna I'm gonna win this contest. So I I uh, worked near a um, thrift store that was in Ybor City, uh, which is the old Cuban factory, uh, um, cigar factory area of uh, Tampa, uh, and uh, I went in, and my I used to have a poster of Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, from Cat in a Hot Tin Roof on my uh, wall, and she's wearing a slip. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be sexy. I'm going to wear a slip. Uh, And uh, I had a jerry curl, so I didn't worry about a wig, which I should have. And I knew nothing about makeup at all. So I just had some lipstick, and I rubbed a little on my cheeks for blush, put a little on my lips. And went on out there, uh, just a hot sweaty mess (laughs) with your drippy
0: Jerry girl.
2: Yes. Yes. And, uh, I had, Oh, and I had props. I had a, a phone, a rotary phone and I had a framed photograph of Michael Jackson and I did Stephanie Mills version of how come you don't call me anymore. And, uh, you know the there's a blackout on the stage i go and sit on the steps of the stage that that go up to the steps and i got the phone and the the picture sitting there music starts spotlight hits me and from the second the spotlight hits me that crowd that all black crowd roared with laughter i at certain points i couldn't even hear the music they were laughing so hard and uh there was one character in the audience, uh, name, uh, everyone called him Sally Mae Sasquatch. His name was Anthony. Uh, but he was really, really tall. He looked like the Grinch who stole Christmas, but like really tall and really dark black. And, uh, he like literally came at one point and was like s- slamming his hand on the floor in front of me where I was sitting at uh, on the stage laughing hysterically. Oh, no. And, and people were laughing at him, laughing at me. And but I knew if I got up and I ran off that stage that I could never show my face there again. So I sat and did that number and did the whole thing and, you know, walked off. Uh, so uh, and that is beyond brave. There
0: should be an award for that level of bravery. <laughs>
2: Oh, uh, the hostess saw me, and she was like, "Look, you know, I think you just need a little help." And she said, "Um, I'm, uh, you know, show up early next week. Uh, I'm gonna, I have, uh, uh, I'm gonna help you with an outfit, and I'm gonna help you with your makeup. Uh, and I think I have a wig that would look good on you." Uh, and she gave me a record. She said, "Here, take this record and go home and learn something off of it." And It was a Millie Jackson record, and uh, I'll never forget. It was all the way lover was the song that I learned off of it and it had a monologue and everything on it. And I had sort of knew it because my mom used to have that album. So uh, so I came back and uh, uh, I didn't win the first time. Uh, I won the second time I came back, but I came close. I was second place. So that was enough for me to like want to come back and try it again. And, uh, and that's how it started uh, was that I sort of did it because I was mad about losing so many times to drag queens, and I, you know, I just thought, like, I can't look any worse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but Sal, that, I'm just picturing Sally Sasquatch, you know, oh, pounding the stage, oh laughing at you. And oh my God, so I, I'm glad you, you know, you, you went <laughs> on, you stayed the course. Uh, on that note, we're going to take a break. Curated by the people, for the people. CIUT 89.5 FM is the sound of your city. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The More The Merrier with Donna G on CIUT 89.5 FM. And my guest is Alfonso King Jr., the man behind the drag queen Jade Electra. Before uh, the break, we were talking about you moving to New York, you know, having braved Florida's Uh, demanding drag scene to move to New York. Now, I know from seeing your show, your work in progress, that you moved to New York, but you ended up living with your friend's partner because they had broken up.
2: Yeah, I called up an ex of mine named Michael. uh, And uh, I was like, hey, I want to come up and look for work. You know, and the worst that I thought was like, "Okay, look, uh, I'll go up, spend a couple of weeks And then come back to Florida and take a job at McDonald's if I have to. So, um, you know, he was like, sure, you can come up. But he really shouldn't have said that because it wasn't his place. It was his girlfriend's place, which was his transsexual name, uh, Grace. And she went by the electrifying Grace. And she was one of the hosts at um, Sally's. Uh, She hosted Monday night's uh, uh, talent competition. And she hosted Wednesday's uh, Go-Go Boy contest. So- like I you know I bought my ticket uh and uh it was non-refundable I remember and uh I had spoken to Grace a couple of times on the phone but like hadn't really had any real conversations with her I called to tell Michael that like you know the the tick I got the tickets and all that stuff and uh she answered he wasn't home and I was like oh you know I'm gonna be there in a couple of weeks and she's like oh great where are you staying and I was like um what you <laughs> and she was like you can't be coming to stay with us we we live in a room and i had no concept of someone living in a room i was renting a two-bedroom apartment in hyde park in tampa for like i think it was like 275 or something like that (laughs) at the time. And, uh, and I was like, Oh, well, my ticket is not refundable. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I don't have very much money and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, okay, well, we'll figure it out. Just come up. So I get there. I arrive with, uh, uh, I think I like 60 or $65 in my pocket. And, uh, most of that was spent like 30 or something of it was spent getting into the city from the airport. And I get there and, uh, sure enough, she lived in a room, um, it was an apartment it was like a a rooming house um, on forty sixth and eighth she was on the second floor and we had to share a bathroom in the hallway and uh what what I didn't know at the time it was a place it was a housing place for people living with HIV upstairs from her was uh, Paris Dupree, who Paris is burning is named after but I mm-hmm. see Paris in the film because of Paris demanded money before the film got released so they cut most of uh, paris's where they cut the interview and they she's still in it but she's not like prevalent like the other people so yeah so i mean i credit grace and paris and dorian uh Corey and and peppa as being my house mother my mothers, because uh, they were the ones who really taught me what I needed to know, because I, I knew nothing about New York City. Uh, I had been there once before to audition for The Crying Game. And uh, that was it. <laughs> when was Jade Electra born? Was she Jade born
0: um, when you joined the house?
2: Or? No, uh- no. Jade Electra was born when I decided to do the benefit for Grace. Um, there was uh my drag name in Florida was Ebony uh and they you know those shady kids at um at Renee's uh because I only had like one outfit for a while they started calling me ebony fashions. Uh, so, <laughs> because <laughs> so, you because you were not right, right. You know, um, but eventually I started getting clothes or whatever. So it sort of fit. But when I got to New York, there was a, an ebony jet who was really big on the scene. That was her name. And uh, I wasn't going to call myself ebony anymore. So and I've always been fond of colors for girls names. And so uh, I like green or jade and uh um i wasn't going to call myself the electrifying jade um but you know i wanted to sort of pay homage to uh grace because that was her uh moniker so i changed it to jade electra
0: how long were you performing as jade electra before you made the move to canada
2: started in 92 Ah. as, as jade i started doing drag itself in 85
0: and then jade electra in the early 90s Yes. Okay. Now, one of the things that you do that I don't um, often see um, is you actually lip sync to spoken dialogue. Because a lot of the 70s singers had spoken dialogue in their music. Yeah. Myrna Shaw, Eartha, Eartha, even Ertha er- had spoken uh, yeah. dialogue. And, and Millie. Uh-huh. Spoken um, dialogue, and I don't see that. Um, I um, know you. I know you're not a fan of the drag scene as it's portrayed on the reality show uh RuPaul's Drag Race or any of the drag races because it is a show
2: it is a TV show it is not drag right it's it's reality television and it's you know it's manufactured drama uh and uh that's not really what drag is uh, but unfortunately now that has become what a lot of young new performers think it is they think it's all about what they've watched on Drag Race and they aspire to be on Drag Race i come from a time when you found your niche and whatever worked best for you I'm not a dancer I never have been I never will be uh, so, you know, my strong thing was my lip sync and uh, and I really enjoy like to me, I, I I think it's better to have material that shows that you actually know what you're doing. They, they, most songs, they repeat themselves and that you could kind of fumble through them. And I remember there used to be a trick uh, that the Queens would do in the South was um, the trick was is if you didn't know the words, all you had to do was say banana, banana mother and that would cover almost anything. During a lip sync. Okay. So, and I just always thought that that was ridiculous. Why not just learn the song? <laughs> so that became my strong point. That's really what sold me in drag because if I wasn't uh, I wasn't a dancer and uh, I wasn't funny like on the mic or anything like that. I was just but I, I knew my material. And that's what people wanted to see when they saw me was that I knew these monologues and I. I would act the things out that, it, you know, it wasn't just me moving my mouth. It was a whole. That's... And that is
0: not that is not easy to do, to do a lip sync of a monologue. You have got to have your mouth in the right shape, your tongue in the right <laughs> position. And yeah, to, well, to be able to do that.
2: Well, the, and what I always tell people, especially for young queens who do ask me about it is is that believe in what it is that you're doing don't do a, don't do a song just because it's popular and everyone is doing it or you think you're going to make money off of it do material that you believe in and that you know and that you have lived or understand. Uh, and that's what's always saved me is that like, I, you know, I'm doing stuff that I know that I've, I've experienced I that I've, I, you know, these are life situations that I'm doing. I'm not just up on stage just to be stroking my own ego. I'm actually trying to share a part of me. Uh, and I think that that's what makes the difference is that, you know, entertainers, who give a part of themselves are usually the ones that last the longest and also make the biggest impacts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when you're on stage, you you're you're elegant and you're sexy, and um, you're a pleasure to watch. Um, you're also very community minded with your Pause uh, magazine, which you and your event, which you which is now called Mingles. Yeah. Well, all-
2: it, I, I should correct you. So we make sure that we get this right. If someone wants to find it, it's pause planet
1: magazine.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, pause planet magazine. And that's um, Facebook. It's on Facebook.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If you Google it, it'll come up, uh, but it, it's, it has a Facebook page uh, and um, there you can download. The magazine is free. It's a downloadable magazine. Uh, and uh, what we do, my way of trying to fight stigma is, I put a person living with HIV on the cover every month and we tell their story Uh, so that that section is called up close and personal. And I try and find different people. I've interviewed people from around the world uh, who are doing things in their community that I thought would be a good inspiration for others because of the reason that I started the magazine and started the the events, the Mingle events, which were originally called POSTO, was because of one of the biggest killers of people who are living with HIV is depression. It's not the disease itself. It's the, the, the isolation and all of those things. And so I thought we need to have spaces where we can go and you know socialize and and not have to worry about the stigma and uh you know and it, it's been it's been a decade of doing this kind of work here in Toronto and finally people are beginning to sort of kind of understand it and and realize the importance of it but the early years of doing it it was a lonely road and people were like why are you doing this and you need to change the name. They didn't like that it said Pause T.O. in the title. Uh, so that's the reason why we had to change it to Mingle, because some people would not come to something that had the word pause in it. But I thought we needed to fight the stigma. So it needed to be out there and be up front. But you do what you yeah. have to do.
0: You're just proving that the stigma is still there all these
2: yeah. years later. Oh, yeah. Well, and some sometimes the worst stigma is from the actual people who are experiencing it. They yeah. Conflicted. And And so, you know, I, my husband and I, we have been very, very out about our status. We came out in Fab Magazine the same year that I moved here.
0: Did you move here for him? Yes you said bad magazine um
2: oh the old days <laughs> <laughs> yeah very long time ago now yeah, the, yeah. Uh, there used to be a column uh, for, about couples or whatever and so uh I think it, the drag queen who used to write it was Heroine marks was her name she interviewed us I think it was at uh O'grady's we were at O'grady's I think we sat and did the interview there and uh we were very open about our status and uh and I was just like you know um for me of like I I, I just got married uh i had, you know this is my first time ever being married i had been proposed to once before but the guy backed out at, uh like a few months before it was supposed to happen and and i remember in that interview i said that this is the new frontier like you know we're boldly going where i've never been before so We'll yeah. see what happens. I think the great thing about me and my husband is, is that like we don't really fight about anything. I'm probably the worst in the relationship because I get bitchy about you know stupid stuff around the house that he doesn't do. <laughs> but uh, but for the most part, like you know we're very we're very calm people. There's no drama going on. There's no you know we're we're on the same page. We think about the same. We have the same issues with things that are going on in the world, uh, and we're friends about it. Uh, I think that's the most important thing. And and working in bars after many, many years of dating porn stars and go-go boys and just, you know, people out in bars in general. Uh, I promised myself when I found someone who actually understood and got me that I was going to, you know, make this work. Uh, because I've in the past, I you know, when you're young, you, if they look at you the wrong way, you're like, okay, I'm done. You know, so but uh but yeah no i i really decided that this was going to be i was going to work at this so that's that's what we've done and that's the way it's been and it's been good uh we just celebrated our 13th anniversary
0: congratulations
2: thank you thank you now
0: i want to get serious for a moment i see um in certain places these ads for crap Mm -hmm. and um you and i are you know of a certain age, we remember, you know, the blanket days and all of that. Um, What do you think the effect of PrEP has been um, on the community? I know you have your song, Undetectable, as long as
2: you take your meds. (laughs) (laughs) I love that line in the song. (laughs) Um, You know, people, a a lot of gay men uh, get very upset with me about this, but prep is not the end all and it's actually created more problems um, because of people are forgetting that there are other STDs out there, STIs out there. Uh, And so, you know, they're just relying on prep. So, and the problem with it is, is for a lot of gay men who party uh, and do drugs and stuff like that. uh, If you miss a dose, you know, if you continue to miss doses or whatever, you're probably going to end up HIV positive. And on top of it, I don't think that the what the pharmaceutical companies are doing, they are creating customers for life. So they don't care if you're on it to prevent getting it or if you're on it to stay alive. They just want you to buy their product. So they're going to continue to come up with new and new, you know, the, the shots now that like now you can do prep uh, and get a shot every two months you know, the same way that they do with the with the meds or whatever. I personally, I don't want a shot every two months. I actually like taking my stuff every day because it, it reminds me and makes me know that I'm supposed to be, you know, on top of this. And it keeps me, it gives me a schedule. It gives me something to actually focus on about my health. Uh, I'm diabetic also. So I have other meds that I have to take on a daily basis. So it doesn't make any difference to me if I'm taking my HIV meds, along with my diabetes medicine, because those are not injectables. Uh, so, you know, it, it, that feature is not something that's attractive to me because I still have to take pills anyway. Um, well, I, I but don't
0: I, hear a lot about um, interactions, you know, in a, with with, with, uh, with PrEP in terms of the effects on the body. I mean, oh, you're ju- you you just, to- you just mentioning that you're diabetic made me think of that
2: yeah they and they're not going to they're like they, this is really honestly it's kind of uncharted territory because they haven't they don't even know all the long term effects of what it does to the people who are on it to stay alive right now i can tell you that i'm having slight not major but i'm having slight kidney um, um function is uh decreasing because of i've been on the meds for many many years now So that is
0: not the diabetes or is it a combination of the diabetes
2: and the, and the meds? We were not certain, but like, but there are studies, there are things going on people. Now, the thing is, is they didn't think that we were going to live this long. So one of the things that I've been advocating lately for is aging with HIV. Like, you know, what happens to the body after so many years of being on it and what are the studies and where are we going with this and the care for People like, you know, we have people now in their 70s and 80s who are HIV positive, who've been positive for many, many years because the drugs got better. Um, and but they need to like start talking about those things and start looking at those things instead of just giving off these pills or this medicine and not testing it and not checking it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, on, and on top of it, just senior health care for LGBT people um, anyway. Uh, like uh, sitting on the panels, I've learned so much. Did you know that when, and this is for gay couples and straight couples, if you are put into a home, they separate you. Yes. Um, because they don't want you having sex. And and the weird thing is, is because of this obsession with Viagra, um, there's an uptake of uh, cases of, of HIV and other STIs um, uh, happening in senior homes because of Viagra
0: that I knew of, but I was also going to bring up the fact you mentioned the the very important point that um, we have, we don't have enough um, housing for seniors, um, especially if they're, if they need medical assistance uh, on a daily basis. And we don't, as far as I know, um, there aren't any, you know, queer-positive spaces dedicated um, to the queer population that's aging, to the aging queer population.
2: Well, I mean, I, I just performed for Seniors Pride over at uh, the Ray Kay uh, Center um, last, what, the 17th? Well, I, I did uh, June 17th. And uh, they do have, I guess, a wing for the LGBT uh, you know, community there. And they're beginning to, like, make accommodations for that uh, in a lot of places. But, like, still, that needs to be a norm uh, Yes, like, across Canada, uh, you know, across everywhere. Um, and so, you know, we, we really need to start talking about those things. So that's the reason why I'm getting involved in any of the panels for those kind of things to talk about. Like, hey, this is what's going on. You know, I'm, I'm 55 this year. I'm going to be 56 in August. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm on a banana peel sliding towards 60. I totally want to know, like, what to expect and what can happen. You know, I, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape, uh, you know, with my mind and, and my faculties and everything. But what happens if something changes with that and who's going to take care of me and, you know, all of those things. So, so uh, are
0: these panels uh part of your CanFar work?
2: Uh no, actually I do a lot of work with Realize is the organization. They do a lot of this the studies and the the panels and stuff like that. CanFar uh is more so towards um working hopefully towards a cure. Um uh and 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 awareness uh like I the last thing that I did for CanFar I uh did uh, some videos uh, for their, they have a program called sex fluent and it is uh, uh, aimed at the youth, like, you know, from teens up until like the late twenties to get them uh, informed uh, with all of this conservative um, stuff going on where they want to stop classes and they want to ban books and all this other stuff. Uh, Kids are not getting the information that they need to know. And it was alarming to look at what studies, you know, the surveys that they did. And there are kids out there who think that if they eat off of your utensils, that you're, they're going to get HIV.
0: Oh my goodness. We're going back right.
2: to the old days. Right. And and it's because of the, uh, the ignorance that was, you know, when you're left in the dark and you don't talk about these things, then you're, it's like festering in the background. So then all of that misinformation gets to grow and and travel. So my thing is, is like I said at the the AIDS Memorial this this year, um, the AIDS vigil um, during my performance, I I told everyone I was like, when you leave here, go and have a conversation with someone about you equals you, because this needs to be a regular conversation. That what what is you equals you uh, undetectable equals untransmittable so as long as i'm on my meds and i'm undetectable i couldn't give you hiv if i tried okay we could have unprotected sex and that wouldn't you wouldn't be at risk because of the it's it's such a small amount of the virus that it couldn't be transferred and that's But you still
0: have to watch for the stis
2: oh of course and that's that's the big problem is is that people are just forgetting about that part of the equation they're just oh well you know, I can do whatever I want. And then the other thing that's really kind of crazy is there are HIV positive people going back into the closet about their status. So they'll tell people, oh, I'm on PrEP, when in actuality, they're HIV positive, and they're on, you know, retrovirus. Oh, Uh, Lord. Right. So we're, we're all we're going backwards to like, try and make everyone feel like everything's okay. And you know, and I, I I talk about this as well. Is like, yeah, there are commercials on television now for take this pill and you can live your life and your everything looks great and fun. It's not that it really isn't. It, it's still a problem. It's still an issue. If you have any other sec, uh, any other health issues, um, the HIV could enhance or you know make them worse. So you know, it's not just about um being undetectable you got to be healthy and you got to eat right you got to exercise you got to keep your body a body in motion stays in motion so uh you know i, I try yeah. and go out walk every day i try and do something every day and i keep myself busy and i keep my mind occupied with things to do so i have something to do because when when you don't move and you don't do things and you're just sitting around. You're actually really the older you get, the worse it gets, and the harder it gets to move and do things so yeah, yeah. now um
0: this organization realize how can mm-hmm. people uh find out about that
2: um well i google it realizes r e a l i s e is the name of the the okay uh, the organization right. that and, you do uh, panels for. I do panels for them and they do a lot of studies and they lobby um, like lawmakers and stuff like that. We talk about different things like, you know, the disclosure laws that those really need to change because they don't recognize you equals you. Uh, And uh, I'm hoping uh, I'm I'm hoping for uh, the next issue, not this, not the July issue, but for the August issue, I'm hoping to get this interview with an individual that I know who went to prison behind disclosure laws. Uh, and is out now. But, uh, you know, this is, these are things that we need to be talking about and we need to like, you know, you know, uh, stop watching the Kardashians start looking at what's really going on in real life and how we can fix things and work with people and, and make a difference. Um, You know, we're people are so caught up in the puppet show that goes on in entertainment and online and all that stuff that they're caught up and they don't, they're not, looking at the real issues that are going on. And so then it's very easy to dismiss things and say, oh, well, that's their problem. Or, But if HIV, uh, I, I have a uh, uh, campaign, it uh, hasn't worked very well, but it's online. And if you Google it on Facebook, it's called HIV is everyone's business. And as long as it exists, it is everyone's business, whether you have it or not. So, exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, Alfonso, aka Jade Electra, aka DJ Relentless. We didn't talk much about DJ Relentless, but the music is there um, yeah, on, mix, can, on Mixcloud.
2: Right. You can uh, Google uh, or find DJ Relentless on, on Mixcloud. Uh, and I'm also on another one called Hear This.
0: Okay. Uh, well, thank you so much and continue to do this important community work that you're doing for the young ones and for everyone. As a matter of fact, I look forward to seeing Jade Electra at another scintillating performance. Oh, um, thank you. Thank you.
1: Uh, I love um... you on
0: stage. I love, you on <laughs> I love you on stage.
2: Thanks. I Well, fortunately, uh, I showed uh, the piece to or the, the drag heels um, clip uh, to a friend of mine who's an acting coach out in L.A. And he's like, oh, we have to work on like he wants to work with me on my show. Uh, so Jaded will hopefully have a, a new and better incarnation the next time I put it together.
0: OK, uh, and you'll yeah. be on to talk about it
2: yeah yes yes and also i have a friend of mine who like saw it and was like we have to make this a book so he's going to help me write it
0: yay things are <laughs> happening
2: <laughs> yeah 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 so i'm I'm excited
0: Ah uh, alfonso king jr thank you so much uh,
2: well, for joining for me today
0: me. and it's it's been my absolute pleasure to talk uh, to mine you.
2: as well thank you oh. thank you for all the support also for over the years
0: you're welcome so happy to have had the time to talk with Alfonso King Jr., a.k.a. Jade Electra. You can find Jade Electra on Facebook, J-A-D-E-E-L-E-K-T-R-A. And the organization that was mentioned is RealizeCanada.org, R-E-A-L-I-Z-E Canada dot org. This is Donna G signing off. You can reach me at TMTM with Donna G on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Leaving you now with Jade Electra and a little bit of house. See you next week. Bye bye.